You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. at his word, we would be stress-free. We would be anxiety-free if we would just take it at his word and believe it. This is what we all need to do. We need to hear the word of God. We need to turn it into action and apply it to our lives. If you cannot apply the word of God, then why do you read it or listen to it? It's called the application process, folks. How much easier would all of our lives be if we would only believe and apply God's Word to our lives? Stress-free, anxiety-free, if we would only believe in God's Word. Do you ever struggle with skepticism? In the grand scheme of things, it's one of the best struggles you can have. But Pastor Dave reminds us today that faith is what saves us. Ask your questions, search for answers. But at the end of the day, Jesus' words and promises should be enough for each and every one of us. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 4 as he continues his message, A Matter of Faith. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So now we're going to be to see this progression of faith that this guy had. He's got just enough faith to come down to seek Jesus out. Why? Because his faith is in crisis. And this is the first point. He's in a crisis faith. His son is sick. His son is dying. He probably went to doctors. He probably went to lawyers. He probably went to Indian chiefs. He probably went to everybody he possibly could to get his son healed to no avail. His son was dying. He was the end of himself. He, he was there at the end. He couldn't believe that no one could heal this one. He probably even prayed to idols because tradition says that he was a Gentile. His son was near death. He had no place else to turn. I don't know about you, but it sounds like my life story. It sounds like where I came to Christ. Deep in sin, deep in my own ways, deep in my own things, and I had no place else to go. The world was falling around around me. I had no place to go. Jesus stepped into my life, and everything changed. This is what's happening to this man. He has no place to go. He's in crisis mode, and you know how you act when you're in crisis mode. You're constantly looking for the quick fix. Constantly looking for the thing that's going to help. His son was near death. His son was near death. What is he going to do? He, he's panicking. He, he, he's just, oh, I'm in crisis mode. He had a reluctant faith, too, because the only thing he believed that he, Jesus was a miracle worker. That's all he cared about. He needed a miracle. That was his main concern. He had no interest in who Jesus was. He had no interest in his theology or who he was. All he wanted to know, what can you do for me? It's unfortunate that many today seek Jesus for what he can do for them instead of for who he is. It's a sad thing. The man implored Jesus. He implored him. You know what that means? It means to beg in desperation. Oh my. Beg in desperation. 
How many of us would do anything we possibly could to try to save a dying child? We would do almost anything we possibly could. You can imagine this man's heart. He had heard that this Jesus was coming to Galilee. He had heard from those who had gone to the feast in Jerusalem that Jesus made miracles and did things. He said, this is the last chance. This is the last straw. If Jesus doesn't do something, my kid's going to die. I have no place else to turn. Everybody else I've tried. Where am I going to go now? He sought Jesus out. I love that. He made the move towards Jesus. You know the scripture, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He, he went towards Jesus. He went seeking him out. Seeking him out. Look at verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless the people see signs and wonders, they will by no means believe. Ouch. That's harsh. That really is harsh. That doesn't sound like my Jesus. That's a pretty harsh statement. But it wasn't a rebuke to the man. Jesus wasn't rebuking to the man. He already knew that he was going to heal the boy. He wasn't rebuking the man. He was rebuking all the others around the man, looking in, waiting for the miracle, waiting for the signs and wonders, because they'd seen everything in Jerusalem, and they wanted the same show here. They were all looking in. Jesus was lamenting about the spiritual condition of the nation. Jesus was lamenting. Lamenting about the spiritual condition. They were lost. He'd encountered many Galileans, but they only wanted miracles. Show us some miracles. They didn't have genuine faith. All they wanted was to see was signs and wonders. Man, think about it. These people are so different than the Samaritans, remember? When the Samaritans came running out because the woman said, come see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. They came running out by storm. And as soon as they heard him, they believed in him because of his word. That's what Gusick says about this. He says, quote, Signs and wonders from God are obviously good things, but they should not form the foundation of our faith. We should not depend on them to prove God to us. In themselves, signs and wonders can never change a heart. Christian, we need to be so careful in the age in which we live because there's going to come on a scene someone who's going to do great signs and wonders. And he will be known as the Antichrist. He will be a false Christ. And he will draw people to himself because those people are looking for signs and wonders. We need to know the true Christ, the Bible Christ. The Son of God as displayed in the Bible and as revealed in the Bible. And the more we know him, the more we're going to be rooted and grounded on the rock of his foundation. And we won't be able to move. And as I said first service, when we're rooted and grounded in that rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, when we're anchored to him, the wind's going to blow. But we're not going to be moved. We may be shaken, but we're not going to be moved. Because we're foundationed on Christ Jesus himself. And he's the rock upon which I stand. And we need that. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Look at verse 49. Look at verse 49. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Can you hear the pain in this man's voice? You can hear the pain. Sir, please, come. My child's going to die. If you don't get there, he is going to die. He was a nobleman, it said. He was a man of high stature, a man of good standing. Where's all that now? How far did that get him? How far did his high standing and his good statue get him? 
I mean, you've heard it said that you're in the hospital and you heard people say, somebody comes out and says, oh, your loved one is this, this, this. Money's no expense. Or they say, give them all the medicine you can possibly give them. Isn't that well? Well, if that's your God, if money's your God and drugs are your God, well, that's where you're going to lean to. This guy didn't know where to lean. He didn't know what to do. But sometimes Jesus brings us to the lowest point in our lives. He lets us spiral down. He lets us spiral down until we have absolutely no place else to go. Until we're running into that brick wall, smacking our head, bleeding. Because we keep hitting the brick wall time and time and time again. And when we finally come to the end of ourselves, when there's no place else we can turn, when there's nothing else we can do, we turn around and he's standing there like this. Come to me. I love you. It's incredible. It's incredible. He lets us do that. And then he takes us to the place where everything is even. There's no hierarchy. There's no class system. He takes us to the foot of the cross. He takes us to the foot of the cross because there everyone is equal. Everyone's equal when we get to the cross. We're all equal in the eyes of God at that point because we're all sinners and we need the cross. As we get to verse 50, all of a sudden a change comes over the man. It's like something clicked in him. It's like something all of a sudden exploded in him, and now he has a lighter step. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. All of a sudden, this man's crisis faith, this faith in crisis, all of a sudden turns to a confident faith. It says he believed, and he went his way. He believed Jesus at his word. He took Jesus at his word, and he went his way. He was now in confident faith mode. The miracle worker, or whoever this guy was, says, go, your sons live. The man believes him, and everything changes. Everything changes for the man, because we go back to John 3.16. Whoever believes in his name shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This man has such an experience. Jesus rewards his feeble, simple faith. Go, your son lives. And the man took Jesus at his word. His faith was now confident in the words of Christ. He had gone from a faith crisis to a confident faith simply by believing in Jesus' words. He now trusted fully in Jesus. What a beautiful picture. Look at verse 51 and 52. It gets fascinating to me. And as he was now going down... His servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour which he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. This is truly fascinating, folks. This is really incredible to me. Here's why. The boy is dying. The boy is close to death. The father has no idea whether the boy passed on or not. The boy is dying. The distance from Cana to Capernaum is about four hours walking. It's about 7 o'clock at night. He doesn't go home. He stays over. Where did I get that? It says yesterday. Now that's faith, gang. That's faith. See how confident his faith was in Jesus' word? How confident he was that Jesus had told him that? He didn't go straight home. He heard Jesus' word. He believed him, and then he rested for the night stress-free and confident. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. If we would only be like this nobleman and take Jesus at his word, 
we would be stress-free. We would be anxiety-free if we would just take it at his word and believe it. This is what we all need to do. We need to hear the word of God. We need to turn it into action and apply it to our lives. If you cannot apply the word of God, then why do you read it or listen to it? It's called the application process, folks. How much easier would all of our lives be if we would only believe and apply God's word to our lives? Stress-free, anxiety-free, if we would only believe in God's word. So the father's faith now has turned full cycle. He's gone from crisis mode to confident mode, and the faith is now being confirmed. Look at the first part of 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. So he's gone from this crisis faith to this confident faith, and now the faith is confirmed, and he knows. He's positive. Many of you have had that experience. Maybe you met Jesus with a shaky faith. And then all of a sudden you got confident. But now you know. You know that you know that you know that you know. To quote the Apostle John in 1 John. You know and no one can convince you otherwise. You've been tried. People have tried to convince you. No one has convinced you otherwise. You know. Your son lives. His faith was rewarded. And then confirmed of all people by his servants. I love that. His servants were the confirmation that he needed. His servants told him that. The very hour that Jesus said your son would live. The fever left. His faith was confirmed. God rewards those who diligently seek him, the scripture says. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. The only way God is pleased is by our faith. And finally, in verse 53b, the end of verse 53, the nobleman's faith becomes contagious. Look what it says. And he himself believed and his whole household. Just look at the change in this man. A crisis faith to a confident faith to a confirmed faith and now a contagious faith. He's just like the woman at the well. He was so contagious that his whole household believed. He became a Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He became a spiritual leader of his house. He led them to Christ and showed them Christ. And although it wasn't a crisis mood when he started out, all he did was hear the words of Jesus, embrace him in his heart, and his entire house was saved. They saw what was in him, and they wanted it because it was real. You show people a false faith, they won't want it. They don't want a false faith. They want a real faith, and they want to see it real in you. They want a real in you. When you believe, it shows. People see it. People know that it's real because they see it real in you. They see it real in you, and that's what the important thing is. Our faith must be cultivated. We cannot wait till a crisis comes to develop our faith, although it will, trust me. Your faith will be developed during a crisis, but we can't sit back and wait until a crisis comes. We must develop a deep confidence in the Word of God. We must develop a deep confidence in His love and His power to do the things He's promised to do in His Word. You read His Word, we have beautiful, precious promises, Peter says. Precious promises. All His promises are yes and amen. Praise God. We must strengthen our faith daily by reading his word, meditating on it. We must commune with Christ. Peter says this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To many of us, we don't do this because we haven't anchored our roots. And when we haven't anchored our roots and the storm comes along, we get washed off the foundation of what we had, and the first thing we say is, well, where's God? Where's God in all this? Well, he's right there. He's right there. 
People ask me, where was God in 9-11? He was in every elevator. He was in every stairwell. He was in every single place that was on fire and built. He was in those airplanes. He was everywhere. He was right there. So we must come to the knowledge of God's sovereignty, the vast love that he has for us. We must come to the knowledge of how much he cares for us. Scripture says more than the sands of the seas are his thoughts for us. We should come to that knowledge. He cares for us in hard times and good times. Just because you're going through a good time doesn't mean God cares for you any more than when you're going through a bad time. He cares for you the same. He's never changing. We sang that this morning. But how can we know God? How can we know this God? We can create our own ideas. This is what many people do. Their gods are projection of themselves. Well, you know, if I were God, I'd do this. I can't understand why God would allow this. This is confusion. This is confusion because we have as many gods as we have people. We can listen to what other men may tell us about God, how they know so much more about him than we do. And they say different things. Some say, God's a person. No, he's an essence. No, he's just a level of consciousness. He's the air which we breathe, and we have to discover him. Others say, you have to chant to find God. Don't you dare start chanting. <laughs> then still others says, well, you know, he can't be found. We just can't find him. What'd you do, misplace him? I know exactly where he is. This is confusion, and there's too many diverse concepts. I don't know which one to believe when we get, we get crazy, but who's the author of confusion? Satan. Satan wants you to be confused, so you don't have faith in our God. So we listen, and we want to learn what God has to say about himself. Where can we find what God has to say about himself? Oh, they made a book. How good. A self-help book. How nice. How wonderful. We don't need all those aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles of self-help books that you have, even in Christian bookstores. you got the self-help book right here. God designed a book, inspired men by his Holy Spirit, so we can see about himself. Doesn't God know himself better than anybody else? He writes it down. It purports the fact that this is his revelation to us. You tell me, you can't prove it. You can't prove it's not. I got more proof that it is than you do that it's not. If the Bible is not God's revelation to man about himself, then he has left man without witness. And man now has to grovel in ignorance, hopelessness, and despair. Ah, it's a place I don't want to go, folks. Been there, done that, got ripped t-shirts to prove it. No way, no one's on that. So what happens when you believe the Bible? What happens? Well, for one thing, confusion's gone. There's no more confusion when you believe in the Bible. I told this story first service. There was a guy I knew, a dear friend of mine, who was an intellect. He was such an intellect that he had graduated from Princeton University with a degree in theology, with high honors. And he used to tell me, they never talked about Jesus at Princeton, even in the theology classes. They never talked about this God, the God of the Bible. But he said, when I became born again, all my questions were answered. Every single question I had were answered because God is faithful and true. The confusion arises from us. We make the Bible hard to understand. We think it has to be real intellectual intelligent. Well, is that why Jesus said, unless you have faith like a child, you can't commit? Let the Bible speak to you. Let it interpret itself. There is no better commentary on the Bible than the Bible itself. If some man seeks to undermine the authority by telling you some pages are uninspired, go, bleh. 
and take them to the scripture. It says all scripture is given by God. It's inspired by God. All of it. It's true. The Bible will guide you and lead you into the true knowledge of God. Because when you start reading the Bible, it's all about one person. Actually, it's about three. But they're all the same person. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. And as you read through it, Jesus reveals himself to us. He reveals him and reveals him. And then all he says, okay, now that you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here's the Father because I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Jesus takes us and leads us to the Father. We are reconciled back to the Father because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So everything concerned God, I can know in the Bible. It's all in the Bible. And the benefits of knowing God, I have peace. I have grace which flows over me. And at the beginning of almost every one of Paul's letters, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Pastor Chuck Smith used to call these two grace and peace the Siamese twins of the New Testament. Because you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. I need all the grace that God's going to show me. My knowledge of God gives me multiplied peace because I know his grace is sufficient for me. Anything and everything I need for a godly life is given to me by God. He's made them available to me. Peter again says he's given us exceedingly precious promises, great promises. I can partake of his divine nature. Well, what is his divine nature? Well, love. Kindness, purity, patience, temperance. And when these traits abound in your life, it's a beautiful, fruitful life that you live. How do I get this? I want it. How do I get this? John 3.16, whoever believes in his name, Jesus, he will give everlasting life. You will not perish. That's a horrible parody, but you know the words. You get it by believing in Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's as simple as it gets. It's all a matter of faith. It's all a matter of faith. So the question is that you have to ask yourself as you leave here today, do I believe? And whom are you believing in? If you're believing in yourself, let me know how it works out for you. You can believe in yourself. Nobody's going to stop you. God's not going to force some way on you. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will have eternal life. The Bible says your sins will be forgiven. You will have peace of God that surpasses all knowledge, surpasses all understanding. You know, whether we're experiencing times of devastation or whether we're experiencing times of great gladness, Jesus is the only one we can count on. Man will fail you. I've told you before, it's never my intent. I love you guys dearly. But I will fail you because I am a man. I don't want to, but I will. Jesus is the only one we can count on. We need to look to him and receive from him his miraculous love, his miraculous peace, and most of all, his miraculous salvation. You are a sure
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.